every single time I have traveled, I have been treat mistreated mm. as a woman in another country every single time. Um, there has been at least one guy who has tried to touch me inappropriately. Mm-hmm. I had a guy, I had a guy lick my arm. <laughs> it was so weird. What's inappropriate like, but about that? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get So, Jeff, did you get all your questions out uh, to Callie? Well, we haven't even talked to Callie yet. Yeah, douche nozzle. <laughs> I'm predicting the future here, guys. Do you know how to act? Wow. Well, time will tell if your predictions are true. And we talked to one Callie Adams from the Twisted Sisters podcast. She's coming up next. Only time will tell. Scott's gone to the future. Callie searching. Nine. What's her name? Kelly at Kelly searching. That's her handle. I, it's I, can you, yeah, I enjoyed the conversation with her and I enjoyed listening to you guys. Um, she is a sharp tack. Yeah, it was great. I was fascinated. We talk a lot about her history, um, and why she started a podcast, but it's fascinating where she's at in her faith. She's in the same denomination. She was, don't spoil anything, but she considers herself kind of brainwashed or indoctrinated, and she's come out of that indoctrination yet maintained her status at, in the denomination she has, which is fascinating. Usually people, when they become undoctrinated, they are either done, it gets replaced with something else no matter what, but they're just done with God in a lot of ways. So that part of it was very fascinating for me. And Scott and I, you were asking great questions. She was react, reacting in a great way, handling your questions uh, with a plum, if I can use that word. Not even sure if I use that correctly. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But you an, at, sure. asked great questions. You and I had one of our textbooks, uh, textbooked, um, third time's a charm. One of those Text things. Book discussions. And it was fantastic. And she Textbooks. was sipping her wine just watching. She was enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. Like she was l- leaning into the conversation. <laughs> like a yeah, like like maliciously, like enjoying I it. I don't think it was maliciously. I think like, it was I think I think she enjoyed it too much. <laughs> <laughs> she enjoyed it so much it was malicious. Yeah. She had malicious intent. <laughs> She was hoping, yeah, I don't know. At least she was absorbing in a very playful, enjoyable manner. Yeah. It comes through. And she's, sorry, smart as attack. Uh, or sharp as attack. Yeah, I was just going to ask for a definition on how attack is smart. Or a big tack. I was going to harness my inner Scott to ask for definitions. But not tacky. Careful. Zach. No, she... She is um, she is very confident in where she's at. That is the one thing that really comes through. Um, where she's at with her relationship with her husband, where she's at with her focus on her kids. She was talking so much shit on her husband. Her, her beliefs <laughs> <laughs> and and why why she enjoys the podcast that they've fallen into. Hi, John. It's crazy that she does a podcast with people she's never met in person. That's just kind of, that's kind of cool. 
It all stems from Inglorious Pastards, this relationship that we sort of peripherally have with them. I'm in their super secret club. Don't say the name. Pastors Pub. I'll throw them a plug. It's and not secret anymore. And when I say hi, Michael, he's gonna know what I'm talking about. It's like it's like secret code. Like you guys are in the Masons, or yeah. Mm. That reminds me of the Masonic the, the, new, the movie Get Out. That's my plug. See it. I probably mentioned it on the last podcast. It's my motto. It's late. Get out. It's, it's no. It's picture of the year. But seriously. The Inglorious Pastors, their Pastors Pub private Facebook group, that's how Callie and Amanda and Becky met through that podcast. That's how I became sort of, I know them, I sort of developed these relationships. And they started a podcast based out of that. We knew each other starting this podcast. Can you imagine like the three of us just meeting each other and getting to know each other every time we podcast. Yeah. Would, would this be, even work? No. Probably not. No. You're probably right. Well, I mean, you guys might work. You guys look good together. Well, we all looked good together. No. Nah, well, there you but, are again, crapping all over yourself. Scott. Well, no, no, I think it, it's it's Zach different when you have it. For him. When you have a majority view uh, <laughs> cor- uh, connection, um, together, then that that's it's it's different when you're gonna argue a lot. Yeah. When I've turned a double play with you, there's nothing that can stop us on the podcast. But you guys quit podcasts, you sons of bitches. You know we quit I'm softball. Softball. <laughs> I just told you what I wish you would do. <laughs> you're just still digging the hole. Oh man, Scott, would you? You know what? It is interesting. Scott and I used to be so similar faith-wise, right? Well, I think we I thought, think that I think we thought that we were. We just didn't really talk. I don't think we talked about it all that much. We did enough, though. Enough. There was this foundation that has. There's a divergence in our faith, and we still we yell at each other sometimes. It gets heated. Whatever you hear on the air pales in comparison to what happens off the air. But yeah, there's this foundation. I I think there's something to it where if we started this podcast and started butting heads like this, I don't know that the foundation is the glue that keeps us yeah, together. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If we didn't know each other, it would yeah. There's something to last. that. Yeah. J- Jeff and I are both nines on the Instagram, both going. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Can I stroke you? Okay, yeah. sure. Oh, yeah, touch me. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can uh, email. <laughs> Uh, Scott and Zach at Scott, Scott and Zach or at Zach. Rose Bowles Beer. Scott and Zach <laughs> at Rose Brews Beer at shared bedroom <laughs> dot sleep in a twin bed together dot gov. Because they allow that. Actually, they pay for that. The government. Your tax dollars hard at work. So it's all good. right. Well, coming up, we got Callie Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Oh hey. my up? goodness. <laughs> They're bros. You don't even know. I'm like totally being grilling. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me make sure it's recording. You say that. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, hey, make sure our bouncers are out in front so she can't jump on stage. Yeah. 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 Literally yeah. coming through. <laughs> no freaking out. That's cool. I'm glad you have the video on. That's not everybody does that. Actually, most people don't. Yes. Well, 
that's why podcasting is so awesome because you can do it in your pajamas. That's right. And you can do whatever you want. Actually, I'm wearing sweatpants. Usually Jeff is wearing sweatpants. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm wearing skinny jeans, here. but somehow we reversed. I went and played baseball with my four-year-old before this, so mm. I, I was, you know, I was being athletic. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Weird. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. Yay! Good. So just in case, Scott, Zach, Jeff. You know, I always get the voices mixed up, and I'm just like, well, it's the bros. They're yeah. just bros. There you go. <laughs> There's all bros. We're like the trinity of podcasting. <laughs> I don't you mind are, So are we, yeah. but in a girly kind of way. Yeah, you guys have the female half of the image of God in the trinity of podcasting. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. Could, I don't know if the other girls would really... I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll wait for their feedback. Oh my gosh, yeah. that, that, that almost perfectly leads into the question I had, but... That can work. Oh, nice. Can it? So, it doesn't have to. Oh, go ahead. But you guys were all friends before you started podcasting, though. Yeah. And now we're yeah. not friends. And now, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Becky, Amanda, and I are getting to know each other only. We've never met in real life. Oh, interesting. We only, we only know each other from podcasting. Oh, wow. Which is really yeah. interesting. How, maybe talk a little bit about that. How has that been in terms of developing chemistry? Like, how do you feel about it now versus. A, you've only been going for a couple months, right? Two, uh, three, four yeah, months? Since like November. Okay, um, six months, seven months. That's fine. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I did a certain amount of this kind of thing before, um, and I don't think either of them had before. And so it was just kind of, it's very interesting because Becky uh, does all the research kind of stuff, and Amanda has all the feelings, and I have no feelings. Oh, I agree. So, well, I mean, I I. Yeah, I mean, I have that's yeah. That's, okay, that's fine. You you agree that I have no feelings? <laughs> oh no, I have I have no feelings. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. One. Yeah, but like the fact that we all are so different and ended up doing a podcast together is pretty um, weird and also interesting. I don't know. It's a good it's a good mix. Now, how do you? How are the differences between you guys generally? Like, what? How does that play out during your podcast? Well, when you're getting to know each other, when you're podcasting instead of in real life, it's a little bit harder, especially when you only see each other online, because when you're podcasting, you tend to step on each other a little bit talking wise. And I'm pretty aggressive. So I tend to step on, especially Amanda quite a bit. So I have to do a little bit of editing out of my own aggressiveness. So I actually do edit the podcast quite a bit to (laughs) keep myself from sounding like kind of an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your Enneagram? Are you an aggressive... Uh... Yeah, what number is uh, asshole? <laughs> oh, no, asshole? Asshole's a three. No, I was talking aggressiveness. Wait, uh, I thought asshole was a five. Oh, no, no. I five's the that. researcher. That's Becky. She's pretty nice. Oh. Yeah. Assholes are like eights and threes. Closer than nines. Yeah. What's the three name? What's the name for the three? I can't Wait, is that image? Uh, is... The uh, no, the achievement. Yeah, and it's like the most image conscious. So, oh, yeah. So that was yeah. probably high for you, Jeff, a little bit. It was my second one. Okay, Jeff's yeah. a nine three. Uh, Which is kind of yeah. interesting. I think that's the worst combination. Actually, yeah, it's deadly. Yeah. Well, I'm married to a nine, so we're a nine three combination marriage wise. Wow, yeah. powerful. I mean, when it works in a marriage, it's good, but in one individual, it's terrible. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, yeah. Well, a three gets nine-ish when they're in not healthy, when they're not healthy. Mm, just kind of withdraw. So it's like, yeah, it's a withdrawing kind of thing. I suppose um, we should say for the listener, look up Enneagram. I feel like yeah. everybody's talking about it right now. I don't have them memorized. I just know I'm a nine with some of the individualistic shades, which I think is four. And Scott just took his. We found out he's a five, and he pretty much fits that pretty well, would you say? You're a researcher, Scott? I haven't looked too much into Enneagramism. Um, but uh, <laughs> Because he's researching wanna, too yeah, much. People want to believe stuff. it. I go ahead. Nice. All right. Thanks. Thanks for that, Scott. <laughs> Be here all day. All right, Jeff. Okay. You're, you're ch- just chomping at the chomping bit. Well, I don't know. Have we warmed up enough? I'm I warmed mean, up. I'm warmed up. Okay. Well, I'll get ready for it. You thought you thought okay. you were coming on to, uh, you know, we're gonna talk you and I to discuss, but Jeff, Jeff has yeah. got it going. We'll talk Bring more about it. your podcast in just a few. Go ahead, Jeff. Okay. Um Question, and I asked my wife this today, and I asked Zach's wife, um, what purpose and a role do you desire from your husband? Um, Well, when I first got married, I would have said that I want him to be like a very traditional gender role male. But I've been married for 12 years, and my idea of what a husband should be has changed significantly since then. Probably in the first six months, it changed a lot. Okay. Um, because I just wanted him to do, I wanted him to take out the trash and I wanted him to be the one who got up and led us to church and, and all of that. And is it just a picture you had coming into marriage? Definitely, definitely a picture I had coming into marriage, um, that he would be the breadwinner and I'd be a stay at home mom. And I actually was a stay at home wife. I only worked at a coffee shop for a few hours a day for the first six months of our marriage. And I wanted to die. I, I just hate staying home. I hate it. I did stay at home mom for two years and it was awful. Like in between, I didn't have a job for a little while and I was a stay at home mom and it was terrible. In fact, I had a therapist be like, you're not a good stay at home mom. You need to work. And so there's been times when he was the stay at home parent and I worked and I just want him to be, he's my best friend. He's my confidant. And I just want him to be there for me and to help us get through it. I don't have any idea of exact. I just want him to be him because that's why I fell in love with him in the first place. So I want him to just be exactly who he is. So I like him that way. (laughs) Do you, so do you think, so looking at your, if you were to like assess your marriage and the roles that you play, um, husband and wife, do you, when you think of the idea of God made woman to be a helper, created woman to be a helper, how do you define that within your marriage or can you? I don't know. Like, like purpose, like women's purpose, a woman's purpose in the world. Well, biologically, we have to make the kids. Right. There's just no other way to do it. Right. So now. biologically, yeah, for, <laughs> give it a minute. <laughs> give it a minute and they'll figure that out. Yeah. Um, but for now, yes, and biologically, we have to make children. And I do think that we tend to be uh, a little bit more like – lovey on the kids and a little bit more nurturing. Um, but I don't see why did he make men so tall and strong if they weren't supposed to help? <laughs> <'Cause> they <laughs> help an awful lot. <laughs> 
So, I mean, we both help each other. So I don't know. I think that that beginning part, well, I really think the whole Bible is just poetry. I, I don't really worry about the way that the Bible tells me that my marriage should be too much in specifics, in specifics. Yeah. Like that. I, I kind of feel like I'm sort of at a place where if we could get down to and be in the exact spot that Paul was addressing in their exact context, then it would have made a lot more sense than just how we read our translations today, like for their specific circumstances. So how it plays out for Lisa and I is kind of a mutual submission. There's, I'm sensing when she is, the kids are driving up a wall and she's got nothing left. I need to fill some gaps that normally she would naturally fill um, and vice versa. There's almost like this, I don't know if it's my, I have a feminine side. So the nurturing thing is interesting. Sometimes the girls gravitate towards mom when they get a boo-boo and sometimes Uh it's, sometimes it's daddy's turn and it's, it doesn't feel like there's a distinct daddy's going to be the strong one. Um, it's like not physical strength thing because obviously I'm stronger than Lisa guys. You know <laughs> I, I doubt that actually. She's actually, such a wussy. You're probably right, Scott. I doubt that too. But it's just yeah. this mutual submission. It looks a lot like mutual submission and, and, I, and the leadership word gets used and I think that word has become Americanized so much um, to where leadership means strong and leading from the front and almost commanding as opposed to a self, a self emptying and cruciform version of leadership, even unto death, which I think is what leadership would look like, at least in Christ. So, and I think what's difficult is that people like to put, um, they like to put men and women in these men and women boxes and people don't really fit in those boxes. They fit much better into personality boxes. So, you know, my husband is a very laid back man. And so I'm the one who's getting up and I'm the one who's getting the kids ready. And I'm saying, let's move our butts and let's get on time to stuff. And so I, I feel like oftentimes, even when it comes to finances and things like that, I am the one who's maybe leading only because I'm a natural leader. That's just my personality to be a natural leader. Mm -hmm. And he's just a, he's just a laid back guy, but that doesn't make him any less helpful or any less complimentary without me. We're not like complimentary, complimentarians. We're not really complimentarians. We're egalitarians, I suppose. Even though I think those are weird words just because I've always been in that kind of a relationship, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think people fit into men and women boxes very well. So from when you when you came into marriage and and then today, when you, what was that question you would you'd kind of redefine for me, Zach? Oh, like why? Well, you brought it up, Callie. Um, how going into marriage, you had a distinct view of the roles you guys would play. So maybe take us back to. And that has a lot to do with probably where how your faith has changed and what you believe God is doing in your life. Um, So maybe take us back to that and tell us more about yourself and how that took place. Well, I think the way that my husband and I both grew up was that our dads both were the workers and our moms were both the stay-at-home parent to an extent. I mean, both of our moms worked, but they sacrificed a lot career-wise in order to be able to be stay-at-home wife, parents, they did the cooking. 
I don't think my father-in-law's ever cooked anything in his life. In fact, he, uh, whenever my mother-in-law leaves, he still buys underwear at Walmart just so he doesn't have to try and use the washing machine, that kind of thing. Wow. So, you know, those, those kinds of things, keeping the house clean, keeping all that kind of stuff, that's kind of a female role. And I guess I thought I would, I would fall into that easily, but I just don't. Um, and there was so much anger in me because I couldn't figure out how to make it work. So in the first six months, of marriage, Andy and I fought. Uh, well, I was fighting him. I was fighting him to try and force us into these roles that I thought we should be in. And I actually went to this counselor and he was like, why are you fighting him so hard? And I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, he just knew how to ask me all the right questions, even about my spiritual life. Like, do you think God's going to love you more if you're a better wife? And I was like, well, of course he will. And he goes, well, do you think he's going to love you less if you're not a good wife? And I'm like, wait, if he can't love me less, then how could he love me more? And so, I mean, you know what I mean? It was just like, you know, forcing me into kind of getting out of my measuring up myself and measuring up my husband. And once I realized that there is no measuring stick, our marriage got a ton better. That's awesome. (laughs) And it's lasted for 12 years. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot less of that, um, like trying to force us into roles that I thought we should be in. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but. Yeah. Adding to that, what is, so go, go back, but pre-marriage and what informed your view of what marriage should be then? And maybe using marriage right now might be keeping you on that category. Well, I'm looking for more broader faith terms, like where, what led you into your marriage like that? And then compared to where you're at now, faith wise, what took place along the way? How has that changed? Well, I'm majorly achievement driven and, um, I was in a fundamentalist religion, which is perfect for that because there's all these rules and if you follow the rules, you made it. And, um, and I went to, uh, private schools, uh, academy. I went to academy, which is a private school, a boarding school. So there's lots of rules there. And as long as you follow all the rules and you do all the stuff, then you, you know, there was a lot of measuring up there and it really fed into my achievement driven personality. I've achieved, I've achieved, I've achieved. And that counselor that I went to, I only went to him three times and I thought we need marriage counseling, but really I just needed me counseling. Um, (laughs) Oh, and I do. went. <laughs> oh, be nice now. I went to him, and he asked me just the right questions to say you don't, you don't need to achieve so much. And in fact, he told me you need to get out of your churchy bubble because we're in this very, very fundamentalist bubble. Um, my particular denomination, which I'm still in, uh, has their own school system, has their own hospital system, has their own grocery stores. We could never leave the bubble. We could be in the wow. bubble forever and never oh, leave it. Was, are you Seventh Day Adventist? I am Seventh Day Adventist. Oh, <laughs> all right. Ding, ding, uh, ding. And he goes, you have to get out of this bubble. And you have to do something other than Adventism all the time. Because you're an Adventist first and you're a Christian second. And that's not good. So, and he's an Adventist. He's an Adventist counselor. Okay, that was my question. So, wow. That's kind of cool that he differentiated like that. Yeah. I mean, because, yeah, right. I mean, you wouldn't think that Adventists think that they're like exclusive, right? And that everyone else is kind of like not really a part of the church, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the sarcasm <laughs> down here, too. <laughs> oh, I can but, see it, too. It's yeah. gross. <laughs> there so is I start, a tendency. Yeah. Well, I started doing things outside of the church, you know, Bible studies outside of the church, um, joined MOPS 
In fact, I dared myself, this is really difficult for me, but I dared myself um, the first Bible study that I went to that was a Methodist Bible study to never say the word Adventist the whole time I was in the Bible study. That was like crazy hard because, you know, like I was indoctrinated, totally indoctrinated. And so to not talk to them about that forced me to not try and convert someone else to my way of thinking. And that was kind of my first foray into not 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 converting people. And then the older I got and the more experience I had, the less I wanted to convert people, which is why I've been able to get into, even though I'm a um, libertarian, I've been able to get into groups that are all very, very liberal um, and still be able to be friends with people because I'm not trying to get them to stop being a Democrat or whatever. I do what you do. Do you do you? And I don't want to convert people anymore. So... But you, yeah, converting people as like in maybe some certain ideologies, but not necessarily. Yeah, I don't know, just and, converting in the, in the political question. Just say it, right. Scott. Spit it out. Uh, yeah. Do you not feel the need to tell people about sweet baby Jesus anymore? Correct. I, I don't feel the need to tell people about Jesus anymore. Do you at all? Was there um, how you were just discussing it though? Was it? Was there a t- like a strong, a really strong tie between the political liberal ideologies and your Adventist uh, uh, theology? So was there was there just such a strong link that they're 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 really kind of the same thing? And liberal liberal ideologies, because most Adventists are Republican, like hardcore Republicans. Right, right. But but then when you say that you don't feel the need to convert people to right. some other ideology, was there just seemed to be like a, like you're interchanging the, the, the theological with the political. Yeah. Well, I mean, they went hand in hand back then and now not at all. I've kind of disconnected them from each other. Right. Which so, they should be. It would, it would, yeah. yeah. So when you say, when you talk about converting people, was it more the political or more the theological that you don't feel the need to? But, well, I don't feel the need to either now, but okay. both back then. So back then, I thought everybody needs to figure out that being a Republican is the way to go. And they also need to know that Adventism has the truth. And I'm completely away from both of those things now because I don't believe that anybody has the whole truth. And so why try to convert them to one way or the other yeah. for either spectrum? Christianity, religion, period, not just Christianity, but any other type of religion as well. And uh, po- po- politics, nah, right. I just don't. So even even like, so not just converting a Methodist to an Adventist, but converting an, a non-theist to right. Christianity, you, the, same, the same category yeah. of not, not feeling the need to convert. Right. I don't feel the need to evangelize. I'm, yeah. I'm not an evangelist um, in that way. I'm an evangelist to being a nice person. <laughs> but that's pretty much it. Please be nice. Please don't be an asshole. That's pretty much all. Don't be as three as you could be yeah. or something yeah. like that. Get away from the three just a little bit. You mentioned you were indoctrinated. And was that... The way you describe indoctrination, is that something you see the general Adventist congregation? Oh, and how did you pull away from that and still maintain your Advent? 
Adventism? Advent- Adventism? Adventationalism. That too. <laughs> well, I used to work for the Adventist church as a teacher. So once I left that work, it was a lot easier. Um, but even while I was in that work, I was already starting to see that the conversion part was not what I wanted. I do believe most of the doctrines, but I don't think that I don't think that I'm 100% right all the time. I'm just not sure what I'm wrong about all the time. And so I just leave the possibility open all the time that I'm wrong about anything. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I was able to just kind of slide away from it, especially when I quit working there. So uh, now are there, was, so what, um, what keeps you in, in the Adventist movement? Uh, this town that I live in is very small. All my friends go to that church and all my relatives go to that church. If my parents did not go to that church, I wouldn't be in it now. Interesting. Is there, yeah. But is that somehow tied to your, wow, Scott, not being a hundred percent sure of, you know, anything you believe? So how, how, what is there a link there between you, mm. you, you go there because your parents go there, but you're yeah. not 100% sure on anything. So the things that would keep you there in the Adventist church, if any, mm-hmm. or in, in, in any form of Christianity, are you just are you sure about any of those things? Are you sure about anything in like Christianity or like like are you able to say Jesus is not Lord and but I'm still going to go to the Adventist church? Like what what are you not sure about? I'm not sure about any of the doctrine except for my own, my, my own personal right now is God exists. He's in control of the universe and he's good. Those are the only three things that I'm 100% sure of in my own mind. Everything else is up for grabs. And the fact that I have a community in that specific church, I go to the Methodist church as well. So um, I go to both churches which I know is weird, but I'm in the music at the Methodist church (laughs) and my parents are at the Adventist church. So, um, I go to both churches. I have community at both places. And I think that the church should just be an awesome community. And it is, those churches are awesome communities. They help you tie in so seamlessly into the community. Um, the rest of the community, um, it's just fantastic. That part of church is fantastic. It's a great thing about churches. Yeah. If you find a so, good one. If it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> and so the awesome thing is that we're kind of far away from the big city, and so we don't have as much of the um, the Adventist hierarchy kind of down our throats. Um, and our pastor down here was like, he was the one who introduced me to the liturgists and the inglorious pastors and um, my best friend who is also an Adventist introduced me to the bros Bibles and bros. And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not, this particular local community is not so, is not holding their beliefs so tightly that it would ruin the community. That sounds, Does that make sense? Yeah. And that sounds yeah. awesome. It is awesome. So, I do like this community. Yeah. Well, now if you wouldn't be an Adventist, uh, if a few circumstances change, what is there a church community that you feel drawn to or a certain denomination that you feel drawn to? Or would you like, would you settle in somewhere or would you just kind of be a free agent? I'd probably be a free agent. And uh, part of that is that 
let's say, I mean, I only know this local community. I've lived here since I was eight years old. I've gone other places for a few years here and there, but I always come back to this community. This community has a really strong homeless shelter network, and I would probably settle into that as more of my community, Um, working with them, um, being down at the shelter, just kind of that would be more of my church because it's helping people in a way that I want to help people. That's what I want to do. So that would be my community. I know that sounds weird, but that would be my church down there. I think that sounds an awful lot like acting like Jesus, right? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. He'd be a little more firm on, uh, on some, some form of a, you know, who God is. And Jesus had some firm doctrines not. he would hold people to. I, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, 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 I think it's interesting and in, in the, the idea that you would, so you said, you know, God is, God is good. God exists. God is good. Right. As these are kind of like, and then the third one, I forget what the third one is. Um, he's in control. Of the and universe. he's in control. Yeah. So those are the three things that like you can hold to firmly. Yeah. Uh, so God in, in, I, th- I think for a lot of people, he could be there, he could, there could be a vague idea about who God is or what God mm-hmm. is. Um, and there can even be a, a vaguer idea of how you even know about God in the first place. But, but besides all that, the specifics of, of Christ though, do you have any solid, like, these are the things that I believe about Christ and, and, those are those are on the same par as God is good, for example. I think Scott just wants to make sure he's going to see you in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I believe about heaven. I believe there is an afterlife. Uh, don't let me I distract mean, you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm not sure what that's about. Um, yeah, how dare you I, take Zach's words and try to evaluate that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about Christ. I wonder a lot about, I have a lot of questions about substitutionary atonement. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not sure how, just because of that, it starts to make you wonder, um, it makes you wonder about the whole story of Christ. Yeah, so so is he the meat? So there there are a lot of things where if if you, okay, so let's say, put substitutionary atonement aside, Mm -hmm. there's, the mediator aspect. So is he the mediator between God and men? I don't think so anymore. So you, th- so do you, th- and well, okay, I'm sorry. Anymore. So that, that was an interesting I think, word. okay. So if Christ was born, did die in the way that we traditionally believe it happened in the Bible, I don't think we need a mediator anymore between us and God. If he really did, if substitutionary atonement really is true, and if he atoned, then if the atonement is done, then why do we need a mediator between us and God? Well, because he, he's perpetually the, the, the high priest. So he, that, that's a role but that he, he perpetually fulfills because you, you to go to God, you need to be righteous for you to approach the throne of God, right? So if, if you're not righteous, then you cannot approach the throne of God. So through it's through Jesus that we are able to it's through Jesus that we have access to the Father. But that would make Jesus and the Father two different people. Not necessarily. So so that that so then you get into kind of the you know the trinity and how how the godhead works works together. But yeah. but if but if 
we have imagery in all, throughout the throughout the Old Testament. Um, uh, you breathe, so this is a very trinitarian question. Uh, but we ha- we do have that imagery about the son sitting down at the right hand of the father. So whatever right. whatever that means, it there there is a separation somehow, right between the the father and the son, right. So if, I mean, but when you when you start saying that, it makes him Wait, a different Scott, person. With the statement, whatever it means, whatever what? it means, and then to kind of this is what it means. Well, no, but not not to get into any. It seems like we're actually defining. Well, no, not to, not to get into. Let him go. It's like my favorite part of the podcast when Scott goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, well, no, because uh, so I'm not, I'm trying not to say anything specific about the Trinity that that you, you know there could be like okay let's let's go down that rabbit trail. So I'm trying to be yeah. I'm trying to be as as broad as I can, yeah. um, because. Uh, I, I think that the only way we have access to the Father is through the Son, right? So, so if if the Son somehow does not provide that access, um, then then we don't. How, how do we have it? Because I th- I think the the New Testament is clear on that. That that's the only way we have access to the Father. The whole uh, penal substitutionary. Well, but, but I don't even think. See, I, I think that's going a little bit too far, Zach. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, no, you're not. I, I I I don't think I don't think it's going that far, but but. Is it is it not clear in the New Testament that the only way we have access to the Father is through the Son? So whatever you say about penal substitution, I would say it's described like that, and it's described it's, just, it's described like that for very specific reasons that would have would make sense. I don't think it does justice for what's actually going on and to how God has eternally felt. This is where Scott and I differ a lot. I believe that God's posture towards humanity has never changed, and it wasn't. It didn't change all of a sudden when Jesus came and did his work. God didn't, I don't believe God killed Jesus as a sacrifice. Um, wow, we're going, we're going really far. What I'm asking is, okay, can you I'm rephrase add, it? What, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, is the only, I'm saying that the only way we have access to the Father is through the Son. That that is that is what I'm sticking, putting the stake in the ground on. Right, and I, which I, is a, which is kind of the broadest thing. The, the clearest, broadest thing that the New Testament talks about, and if if we can't agree on that, there there are we there are the, the these other things about penal substitution kind of we don't even get to those if we don't if we don't if if we can't even agree that we get we we get to the yeah. Father through the Son. How do we even start discussing penal substitution? It, it, we right. can't even get there. And I just see it as the the Son was the posture of life giving self sacrifice. Is, is an eternal concept that's always been true about humanity, what, and, it, and but, it's not until now at, we get a fuller revelation of well that, how that takes place. And that's fine. And I I agree. I agree that Jesus was crucified from the foundations of the earth. But what we have in the incarnation is that Jesus is the mediator between God and men. So I, I think that as our referent, because that is the like one thing that is very clear in the New Testament that. That whatever whatever you want to say about these other, I'm not trying to change things. your mind. Well, then what do you? Okay, so so to be clear, What's your Zach, <laughs> Zach, is the only way to the Father through the Son? I don't. Is there I, one mediator between God and men? No, I believe God's <laughs> posture was united with was for forgiveness and self-sacrifice for humanity from the beginning of mankind. I don't feel the need to describe it the way you are. Describe it the way the New Testament describes it? Yeah. I think it goes beyond and it goes beyond the words that the New Testament is trying to drive at. It's bigger than that. 
Well, how would you come to how did you come to that conclusion? So are you saying <laughs> this is this is where Bros, Babs and Beer gets really good. So so you're coming to a conclusion that's different than what the New Testament conclusion is. Do you have any idea what he's talking about right now, Callie? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Yeah, yeah, I know what he's okay, saying. Okay, give us I've add something. Bible Stop him. My entire life, <laughs> and I can feel that, but I don't agree with it anymore. I love yeah, this guy. So, so no, 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 no. Okay, so, so in your opinion, does the New Testament clear? I, I, I think it's clear. What, what? What do you think the New Testament is referring to when it says that Jesus is the mediator between God and men, that you can only come to the Father through the Son? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Uh, that, um, that that is how we have access to the Father. That we are righteous by access. his blood. I don't think it's about access. I think, I mean, if I believed that Jesus was born and lived on this earth, I think he was the only picture we had of what God looks like. And I think that's a lot more what it's talking about now. Um, that's more his life is what God looks like. What is that? It's a what, lot. What it's a do? lot less of of me having like this direct line of sight or direct Skype to God than because um, I think I can talk to God if I want to. I don't think He's going to stop me. It's FaceTime though. Well, why, yeah. why do you think that though? I just don't think that God and Jesus are different beings. I think they're the same. I think that God's incarnation of himself was Jesus on this earth. And I think that was him showing us what he lives like, what he looks like in the best way that he could at that time. And now he's back in heaven. And I think it's just all one. I don't think that there's three separate beings. I think when they talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, even in that Trinitary, you know, the, the Trinity way, I think that it's just, it's all still one God. It's just God. It's just God in different um, different ways of relating. So so when the New Testament That's talks all. about having access to the Father, what do you, that, that, through Jesus, does that mm-hmm. just, does that, if what you're saying, does that just kind of get thrown out the window? Like, No, I think it's just them saying access was him coming to this earth. That was well, this is, this is after this is after the crucifixion and ascension that, that Paul's talking about this access. Right, and who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. No, and who is he talking to then? He's, he's talking to people who with have what, faith in, in with Jesus a certain, Christ. With a certain background, though. Like it's not yeah, the same as us. Well, well, no. They would have had a root, they would have had a language and a, a knowledge that needed to be corrected and a frame of thought that needed to be corrected in certain ways. So you're saying that it's not actually true that we have access to the Father through the Son. Yeah, I don't think he's our Catholic priest. I think that's what you're well, thinking. Oh, no, that, no, 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 no. Well, no, I think I think the Catholics that usurp idea. that idea. The Catholics usurp they, that idea. And but, so what what we have said as Protestants is that Jesus is that priest. That we don't need yes. a priest the way the Catholics do because we have Jesus. But I don't think that Jesus and God are two different people. So for me, well, when you say He's my access, I mean it. It kind of it's like saying Scott, you're microphone is the access to you except you are you i i have access to you well yeah but he, hebrews to, hebrews hebrews talks about jesus being uh the the priest forever right that he mm-hmm. it ha, he has no beginning or end um so that he oh, he he perpetually fills that role from now on um 
So I, I, I don't see it as a contradiction in, in the nature of God that he, that we have access to the Father, especially when it's Paul telling, telling us about this. Like, like, do you believe we're going to go to heaven at a certain time? Other than as, like, are, do we go to heaven right after we die or do we go to heaven after that? Or um, We go to be with the Lord wherever that is. Okay, so when we go there, do we still need Jesus? Are we only going to talk to Jesus, or are we going to be able to stand before the throne of God and talk to him directly? I'm not sure. There you go. That's the thing, is that if if our state right now is already covered by the sacrifice of the penal substitutionary atonement that happened, then why, if we can stand before the throne of God when we get there, why can't we do it right now? Well, What's the difference between now and then? If, if at all, it would be because we have the glorified bodies. We have clothed ourselves with Christ. Um, and and that's, it talks about that in uh, Revelation where, where we, we, do, we, we do have a new nature, even though we kind of sort of, I guess, so, somehow we're still ourselves, but we have, we have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Uh, it, it will be a distinct, a separately and distinct period in history where we, we do not have these corruptible bodies. We have incorruptible bodies. So I, I don't think that we can equate what, what we're experiencing now with what will be in the afterlife. There, it's, it's talk, it, it talks about it. It's, it's two distinct periods of time. Scott, I think this, this is scratching Scott's itch so hard. I think it's spir- good. You have a spiritual boner. Let me check. Uh, <laughs> I'm a girl. <laughs> that question was for That's me. That's all I have to say. Girls don't get spiritual boners. I'm out of this one. It's fi- it's not literal. You guys are such a literalist. Jeez. <laughs> you know it's funny the the whole the whole penal substitutionary thing is very interesting. I'm like coming to the conclusion and this is held very loosely. The Bible still has a hold on me, even though I've lost a lot of my fundamentalist roots. It's there's still like an anchoring, which I, I don't mind, but I think when it's describing sacrifice, it's leading pe- sacrifice is a pagan idea. Sacrificing to please the gods is very pagan. And the Jews, what became the Jewish faith kind of, a, they adopted the people they came out of, which was very pagan. And so when it describes Jesus as a sacrifice, that that's the way certain people needed to understand what was going on. But ultimately, I think it, it woefully falls short of what's going on because my f- mind experiment now is my daughters, I, Gwen and Aubrey, if I forgive Gwen for something, but then I require something from Aubrey in order to forgive Gwen for that thing, that doesn't look like real forgiveness from my perspective. To Gwen, it does. Yeah, but I'm not a predestinationist where Aubrey is condemned because I chose Con- Gwen for glory and I chose Aubrey yeah. for destruction yeah, to, in this example. This sounds say, yeah. terrible. God, to, when I say, say that out that, loud. To say that sacrifice is, is, has, is only rooted in paganism, I think, is, no, is wrong. Uh, I think, that's not I what think, I said, though. Hold on, Scott. It's going back to sac- Genesis. Sacrificing to please God is very pagan, and that's where, where that's where the Hebrews came from is a, they came out of people that had that mentality. And so it, but was sacrifice specifically to please God. Is there a different type of sacrifice? Yeah, there were all kinds of different sacrifices. Right. So, so the sacrifice to say that, to say that sacrifice is born out of paganism. I, I, I think Genesis 
debunks that. It's it's God that offered the sacrifice to cover for Adam and Eve's sin originally. But That's, Genesis was written after all of that stuff. Sure, everything I mean, is written after it happens. Well, way after, but way, I mean, I think that Genesis was written specifically in order to help them understand from their perspective, which had already happened. It's not like someone was standing there recording. Um, oh, yeah, it's clear. Yeah, Moses. Yeah, Moses is, is long after Adam and Eve. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, even that, I mean, a after lot of Moses. that was handed down, you know, uh, word of mouth for a long time before it got written down. So I think a lot of that got adjusted in order to make the people who were living in that time understand. Well, yeah, and, and so see, we 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 get into all these other things. So we got into the Trinity, yeah. ac- accidentally, totally solved Zach, it. Then Zach <laughs> brought up penal substitution because that's what's on his mind. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> and then now we get into okay, is Genesis? Can we really trust it that that's what God did? Right. So I I think yes. I I think that Hallie was shaking her head for the I, record. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to play that. But I, I I think how do we how do we know about God? Um, if these if these stories are not real, if they're not true, well, that's a different thing. We're 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 coming to conclusions about God. How how, how do we? How, why why do we think God is good? Like you, one of your premises, your three your three main things is God is good. Why why would you think that God is good? Because of my experience with Him. How how okay, well many people have bad experiences with God. Right. So God is, is so God is bad. That's why I don't try to convert people to the idea that God is good. Well, no, I, I mean, I'm saying that obviously facetiously. Uh, <laughs> like your experience with God does not determine who God is. Only who he is to me. Well, I know, but, but that is not true. That is not necessarily the, who God truly is. is, is that's want, my point. You want a truth all across the board for, yeah, everyone, he does. for someone who no one has currently met in person. I, I want I want I want a logically consistent God who who I can trust to fulfill his promises. Yes. And you get a logically consistent God from reading the Bible literally? Yeah. Well it depends on what That's you mean by literally and we can get into I, that. I totally know where you're coming from. A thousand percent know where you're coming from because I've been there and I had to let that go. I let that go. How, how so how, okay, and and I appreciate that. I appreciate that because yeah. you you're you, you you analyzed it. You're like, this is something that you need to wrestle with. And I, I, I appreciate that. My, my, my question, my, the question to myself is I'm trusting in God that he's going to fulfill his promises, both for my salvation. So my righteousness is rooted mm-hmm. in the promises that he made to our forefathers. If, if I can't trust in those promises, then I can't trust that I have any any chance of being righteous in the first place. So, so anything going forward, like you talked about heaven, I, whatever heaven is, um, or, you know, being with the Lord, how can I, how can I trust that, that those things are actually possible? If, if God hasn't done anything for me to garner his trust, why, why should I trust him for anything going forward? Why should I trust him in the, for, for my righteousness uh, why, why, why should I have hope? So the Bible, so the Bible talks about Jesus being our hope, um, the hope of salvation. Why do I have any basis to trust in God for any hope of the, of the future? I can't even trust him that he's good because I have no, I have no objective basis to, to, uh, to have that, 
to have that idea of God that he's good. He could he could be a a deceiver God who who so Scott, just I, loves wrath. Can I add, just poke into this a little bit? I if will allow it. These all these questions you're <laughs> asking, which are good questions, based you're looking for that initial authority to build off of. To, right. To build God off of. Uh, an authority outside of myself right. because I I cannot be trusted. Right. I understand that. And I appreciate that. So, but if you take that, those questions back far enough, you can't trust anything. Yeah. So there's. Okay. Oh, okay. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Right. So, 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 okay. So what, what are our you're, options? You're what are our options? You're deciding. You decided on a certain way that you read scripture, a lot of it that was given to you and it, you're currently seek. Well, it, it was given to all of us how we read scripture okay. oh, yeah. or yeah. wherever. I'm we're not bo- the only fundamentalist here, even though you <laughs> claim to not be a fundamentalist, people do have, there, there's something always underlying anything that you're saying all the time yeah. for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was not a dig or it wasn't supposed to be a dig. Somehow you made me feel like I made a dig on you. I don't know what <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's your fiveness. <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry keep going no i'm just saying i appreciate that you're looking for that foundation and that you have a lot of you probably have a lot of clean lines and i i'm not gonna that, pull- so that sounds like a dig so that sounds kind of like anyway go ahead go ahead sorry. i'm just saying ultimately you're asking good questions that if we're honest with ourselves leaves a lot of oh shit who is god and i don't know anything how, well, so, I, my, my, my question is, how can you know anything if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to just say that stuff didn't happen, you can't know anything. Right. So, okay. So where, where do we go? So does that mean, that means we have, we have a logical basis for not believing in God at all. We have a logical basis for not believing that Jesus is, is the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. Is that, I mean, yeah, I, I, how, I don't agree with that. I think you we, set up your suppositions. Yes. I think we do have a logical basis for that. And, and, and it, I'm going to allow is, you to have that. Yeah. It is rooted in philosophy. It is rooted in logic. The, the, the idea that based we can on have, starting points that are created by you. Well, no, ba- based or other people. Well, no, <laughs> no, definitely not created. By I'm me. not trying to pull you out of this. Well, you no, can have this. Well, no, but no, but I, th- I think, I think if even if you take that logically, why would you call yourself a Christian? Because I, I have a belief and a trust. I, I can't know for sure. It, right. I, I can, so, so, so you, so, so go you with want me on a, this with no logical I can, basis. I can know if I tie my wife up. Here, let I'm me sure finish. You have. Let me finish. <laughs> if I tie my wife up in a I'm room, sure she's tied you up. Actually, I, I can know that she's not going to go and go out to a bar and get drinks bought for her and cheat on me. Is that trust? Uh, no. Well, well what, I think what you're saying is that you can trust her, uh, even though you tie her up. It's not fate. I okay. I'm confused now. <laughs> <laughs> my my point is, I it's not tr- trusting God is not something that we can trusting and believing in faith. Um, faith is actually probably more of an allegiance word, but uh, trusting God <laughs> is not something that we can have a hundred percent assurance of. There are good reasons for trusting God. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so if you say a hundred percent assurance, I mean, or ask you a question, Scott. Is there somewhere in the Bible that says... We'll get to you, Callie. Just hold tight. Yeah. Okay. And and Callie. Callie, is there somewhere in the Bible that people believe God was bad? I think there were probably lots of times where, like, especially when uh, David's son died, 
right? David Bathsheba's son died. You don't think that Bathsheba was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like God, <laughs> God is, God is bad. It's all through the Psalms. Yeah. mean. God deserted me where oh, yeah. Ecclesiastes. Psalm 89 is, is just an abortion of giving up and terribleness. Yeah. So if we summarize the Bible, I mean, if people summarize the Bible. Um, you can't. The writers, the, the people who lived during the times of Jesus, would, would they come to the conclusion that God, God is bad? No, because hindsight is twenty twenty, and you look back and you'll realize that things happen for a reason and all that kind of thing. I think in the end, I mean, you have to make a choice as to whether you believe in God or not. It's a choice because he's not going to come down and introduce himself to you. And the Bible is reliable or not reliable, depending on how you feel about how it was written and put together. So believing in God is a choice. And for me, I made the choice to believe because I felt like I had enough evidence in my own life. Do you think God is still working in people's lives who denounce God and Christ and all of it? Yes, I do. And yeah. so people may say, like I've experienced, as it sounds like you've experienced, um, something that changed us. And so this faith we have is experiential. It's almost God's speaking to me and I'm following. And, but, and I would say God is, God is good. Um, yeah. Whereas people have bad experiences and they say, oh, God is not a good God or God's not a good God all the time because of the feelings that they they go through um, or the strife they have, the challenges and obstacles, but then they have, you know, good moments in their life. But still, do you believe God is using the good, the bad, and all of it um, through people's lives, no matter where they're at? I'm not sure how involved he is in our day-to-day life. Yeah, that's um, those a big are, one I wrestle with, too. That's a big one I wrestle with uh, all the time. Um, and it's mostly prayer that has done that to me. I, you know, the milk jug test, if anybody has ever heard of the milk jug test, yeah, describe milk it. jug test, it's uh, you could pray to a milk jug and get the same answers that you would get from God. Yes, no, maybe. That's yes, what, no, wait. That's what Mike McCarg did. Yeah. Science Mike. Um, I don't have enough evidence that he is actually working in my day to day life. I think that he wants us as his, I think he wants us to be in relationship with him, but I don't think that that relationship is a father daughter relationship. Like a lot of people like to describe it because of, it seems that would seem a little bit more uh, parenty and I don't think he's parenting me. I don't think, I think he's just, um, I think he wants to be my friend and I don't think he wants me to ask him for things because I don't think that he can always give it to me. I think this world is too much of an experiment for him to be able to interfere. He would ruin the control group. Do you think you get, <laughs> do you think you get cues in life um, from the Holy Spirit at all? No. No. So, you're, no you're, I don't. so you would say your faith is com- like kind of disassociated from the Holy Spirit. It's a bit agnostic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I feel a little agnostic. The only reason why I'm not completely agnostic is because I do believe he wants a relationship with me. Why do you, why do you, why do you uh, think that? 
because of your experience. I don't really. Well, no, you said yeah, you said I don't really know. You said you be, you said because of your experience. Um, but it, but I think what you just said that you don't you know well, what's it's the not experience? in the data not not but you said Was it not some in the, profound well, experience. When, but you said not you don't you said that you don't think that God works in your day to day life. So what what experience are you talking about? I don't I don't think he helps me make choices. I don't think he's cueing me to do anything. I don't think he's uh, working that way. I don't think he's putting things in my path or predestining me for anything. Um, however, when I have had really bad experiences, some really, really bad ones, I felt like I could feel him near me wanting to just be my friend, to just sit with me in that. And that's what keeps me realizing that, or at least hoping that he's real and that it's not just some cognitive weirdness. Do you think that, do you think that's a cue though to rest? Like rest in him? Maybe. Maybe that kind of cue. Okay. I think it's a little bit different than saying he has a path for me and I need to become right. a worker right, right, at the homeless right. shelter. Although I hope that's his path because I have a job interview tomorrow. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Well, don't pray about it. You know, it, it, know. if it involves loving people, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's his path. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why he would want me at the homeless shelter more than he wants me at the hospital. You know, I'm not sure that he has an idea for me to go either way because I think there's good things to be done either direction. Yeah. For I, don't, my I don't worry own, about that too much. It, it is kind of crazy. When I uh, went through my deconstruction, the pillars of my faith that I thought were God were not, when they became obvious, it was not actually Jesus and God. It was very, it was scary and but there were these little moments where i would hear something and it it's funny it's something i had heard before but it just overwhelmed me with like it's okay that you're this is happening you're going to be okay i am with you never in words and it was information i knew or had been exposed to before but it it took a hold of me like nothing else in the midst of me having less answers than I had ever had before. And so it, I, I can't like quantify that. I can't know that that's for sure. But I, it was in that moment, it really did feel very figuratively like Jesus was like, hey, you don't have to do, you don't have to be all the way there like you were. I got, you right. know, I'm here. We're but look at together. us. Look at us. We're sitting here talking on a computer that we each have in our own homes with your beautiful mics and me and my headphones. And this house, you guys have houses in Southern California. God, that's really expensive. You know, we have these like lives. You know what I mean? Yeah. We have these lives. And it's easy for us to say that God told us we're going to be okay because everyone in the rest of the world would have said you're going to be okay. Right. But the question is, where is he? You know what I mean? Why do bad things happen to good people when there's these people who it's not going to be okay? My friend Phyllis, I just found out tonight my friend Phyllis is on hospice because she has cancer, terminal cancer. She's not going to be okay. She's going to die. She's going to die and it's not going to be a good death. It's going to be an awful death. Yeah. How can I tell her? I can't tell her she's going to be okay. The only person who can tell her that she's going to be okay is God coming down and putting her in that state saying, even if you're not okay in this life, you'll be okay in the next life. That's why I believe in the afterlife. I really believe that. So those are the things that keep me believing in God because 
she might not be okay now because she's not. No, and every day but people she'll be aren't. okay then. Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah, and and it's not my. Uh, yeah, and then we can get into the whole judging and are you really going to be okay in the next life and all of that. I don't know. You could go, all go down of, so many rabbit trails. Yeah, all of which are a blast, and it's what we do. Um, but ultimately, it's just uh, when you really marinate on all these answers, it's like, man, I really don't know. It's like, well, I know. I, so, I, yeah, I think, and, and yeah, that's that's a terrible situation. I, I, I do happen to believe, though, that uh, without Christ, um, there's no hope. So You know what? Yeah. I want to affirm, Scott, and I'm going to. I'm not only wanting to, I'm going to. Okay, Jeff, I'm scared. Got his hand on I'm my shoulder. Really I'm scared. put my hand on, my, on your I'd, shoulder. I'd Scott. rather you not touch me, but so <laughs> this six months ago, getting Scott to say he's done it like three times tonight. I he said I think and what? Well, I, let me rephrase. The Bible says no, that no, Jesus no, 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 is, is necessary. <laughs> Don't retreat. You're retreating. No, you just say, making it your own and where you're coming from. It's such victory. I mean, praise mean the Lord, man. Doesn't whatever what I think doesn't matter. <laughs> I know you think that. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. You brought up the experience. Is there anything you're willing to uh, share? Okay, yeah, okay. I've been drinking a little bit, so we'll be okay. What are you drinking, um, real quick? <laughs> drinking this stuff oh. that my out of the bottle, whole bottle, a riesling, sweet wine. <laughs> I have this. Beautiful little. Okay. All right. Okay. So real real quick, don't lose your thought. When Scott and I, for the listener, when Scott and I were a little distracted with our own conversation, Callie was leaning into the camera, sipping on her Riesling, just observing. (laughs) Like, like she was sitting right here. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, all right, they're doing this. Let's watch. I just love it. You don't even know. I just don't want people to think we hijacked. I mean, we really care about you, but we got a little distracted there. This is like the best thing ever for me. So, um, yeah. So when I was 21, I went down to Costa Rica to go to school and, um, just had some experiences there. Was dating a guy. Found out later that the guys at the school had a bet to see who could bang the American first. Mm. That was pretty rough. That's brutal. Um, oh man, I I just uh, wasn't gonna let that happen and got kind of mad and ended up getting a ticket and leaving, um, fighting off a little bit and then getting a ticket to leave early from school there and. Um, I couldn't leave right away. I had to spend a whole week there after I had had my my sort of fighting off this guy experience. And the whole school was mad at me, and they all thought that I was – it was just a whole thing. They blamed the girl down there really bad. And was the and, person still present for that week? Uh, they were yeah, right there. Okay. They were still around. Um, and the admin, even the teachers down there, the administration, all of that were just saying what a hussy I was. And I was like, excuse me, I have preserved my purity, (laughs) but I was pissed because they, they were mad at me because it was becoming a thing. So anyway, I didn't want to hang out at the school and had some friends and we just got on the bus and we went down to a beach in Costa Rica there. And the bus ride was like five hours. And I spent the entire five hours with my headphones in listening to Christian music. And, you know, back then it was like Phillips Craig and Dean or something like that. Nice. 
So yes, you can judge me if you want, but that music for me at that time was saying exactly what I needed to hear. And I got down into that weekend and just cried as much as I wanted to cry and sat on the beach and listened to the waves and listened to my music and no one bothered me. And I really felt like God was there with me. And I read a lot of um, scripture at that time because scripture can be comforting. Um, I do think that it is worth something. I just because I don't believe that it is the literal word from God's mouth to my ear doesn't mean that it isn't um, important in my life. So I did read a lot of scripture then, and it was very comforting. And that was kind of the time for me, even though I didn't come out of fundamentalism for a while after that. But I'll always believe that God was there with me during that weekend. Did you lose any trust in men from that point? Yeah, it was just a very specific subset of males. It was not all males. Okay. My dad has never been that kind of a guy. He's always been a really, really um, kind, loving guy. And so because I grew up with a man who treated me with a lot of respect and a lot of dignity, um, having one guy treat me like crap or even a few right. didn't really hurt me that bad. Your Plus father I have- superseded all of that. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. And plus, I have a really big ego. (laughs) Lots and lots of self-esteem, so I don't have to worry about that too much. Uh, Yeah, I I felt very justified in my actions. I was annoyed with the school for the way that they were treating me, but I just left because I wasn't going to take that shit, so I just Mm. went home. That's brutal. Yeah. You know, easier for me than it would be for somebody else. Yeah, right. And a, a, a woman young women that get themselves in that situation might be so weak or, or they don't have a father or they're, they just, they had a weak father and there's, they don't stand up They're, You know, you had the ability to like, this is not happening. Right. Whereas that might not been the case for someone else. Yeah. I wouldn't call them weak. I would just call them I guess physically. Yeah. Physically weak. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this guy could have overpowered me, Mm. but um, I had some backup. My sister was there, and she Mm. punches boys. (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) So there was that. So does Zach's Um, wife. But that's another story. But but yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's uh, easier if we go in packs. That's why we go to the bathroom in packs. (laughs) (laughs) Self-preservation. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, relate. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I think vulnerability and just telling life um, connects people. I think we learned that from doing this and just doing life together as as men. And um, I uh, experienced. Uh, <clears throat> I was over in Sweden or Denmark. I can't remember where it was, and we had a bunch of American kids over there. And, the entire world was there for a soccer, it's a youth soccer tournament. And, um, a lot of our girls got cornered by like Greek boys and some others that, um, they just looked at girls like, you know, well, you got yourself in this corner. So, yeah. And it was like an all out fight to get out of, a like a club or wherever they were. Yeah. Uh, at 10 o'clock at night and it's like property. I choose yeah. this and I will have that. Yeah. yeah. I, 
I have to say I was pretty lucky. I had good friends. I had my sister there. Um, I had a guy even in the, in the uh, bus station that weekend when we were trying to leave, um, this guy, I had my backpack on and all my stuff. And so all I had was Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. And this guy came at me and he grabbed me by the boobs and tried to steer me by my boobs, like into a corner. And I had a friend there with me and he, it was a guy friend and he was, he just punched him and we just kept going. But I mean, it's, it's scary down there, you know, to be a girl. I had blonde hair then, um, blonde haired, blue eyed girl, you know, it's rough down there, but, um, I always traveled in packs, never went by myself anywhere. You know, the, uh, I was talking with Zach's, Zach's wife, um, before this podcast and, I was asking her, like, you know, what he was testing these questions yeah. on her what's before the, he asked like, you. What's the like the purpose of, uh, you know, female in society, or what was God's purpose for a female? And and she goes, well, are you talking about the United States or somewhere else? And I'm like, well, she's like global, and she's like, I don't know if I can answer that question. And as mm-hmm. you're talking, I'm like, okay, we do in America we define things very differently um, Mm -hmm. than other countries or South America or um, Mexico and, or, you know, England or wherever it might be. (laughs) Iran. Yeah. Right. So all of this, you know, a lot of times we walk into people's culture and we have no idea. I mean, certainly those things can happen in America and they do um, every day. They do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it's a much greater like the respect for women in other countries is uh, they're way down the totem pole. Um, and so way down, as Zach was saying, sometimes they their property to to people. And yes, I've traveled extensively. So I've been to Italy, uh, Switzerland, Greece, um, South America, different places. Every single time I have traveled, I have been mistreated Hmm. as a woman in another country. Every single time Um, there has been at least one guy who has tried to touch me inappropriately. I had a guy I had a guy lick my arm. It was so weird. What's inappropriate like, about that? <laughs> Scott's a stranger licker. It's, it's just weird. It's weird. Like, And that has never happened to me in the U.S. Never. Wow. It's never happened to me in the U.S. And so um, when we talk about women being oppressed, this is where my political stuff is going to come out it. a little bit. Women are not nearly as oppressed in the United States as they are in other places. And so it's really hard for me to hear that about the U.S. because I've been treated with such respect and such dignity by people in the United States. Now, I'm part Hispanic. I do speak Spanish. I do not uh, look very Hispanic. I'm pretty white looking. But I I have never been treated disrespectfully and uh, not by men in the United States. So even when I was in business, I was never treated disrespectfully by men in the United States as a businesswoman. So it's really hard for me to see. And I get yelled at by Amanda on that one because she sees it. And I don't. Um, but I, I don't see it as nearly as much as some other people do. I know it happens, but I have never seen a specific instance of it happen with me. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, this is like, I realize this is going to sound a little disturbing, but it's my sociology <laughs> theoretical <laughs> mind is, do you think, be, you say you haven't been treated that way in the United States, have men in the United States become so passive that oh they aren't. They've been no, wussi- no, 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 no. They've been no, wussified no, no. by I think women. This is a legi- I think it's a legitimate question. There's been a, there's been a ripping apart of the maleness in this country, and now I am getting you know going down the non PR way, um, but PR has something to do with it. But is it possible that men have been so? What's the word? Um, Gentrified? Yeah, it's something like that. I don't know if that's emasculated. 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 Right. That they. Do you think we we should act more like the Costa Ricans? They've lost their machismo aggressiveness that maybe they used to have, and society has not that it would then. I'm. Are you longing for that? (laughs) I'm saying (laughs) that in these other countries, there's a very aggressive. Like strength in doing stuff like that. Like I'm going to touch a woman, um, and nobody's going to tell me it's inappropriate. But if you did that in the United States in public, you'd be crucified on the spot. Yeah, and and, and for good reason. It would right? Get, yeah, absolutely. Okay, mm. just making sure. Oh my gosh, you serious? I don't. So, Callie, the question okay. is: Would you no, rather would you rather get clarify. fondled in public or have men oh, be men gosh. be emasculated? <laughs> not not that it's one or the other. Touch me and find out. <laughs> Good I, I think there's some I emasculation bl- there, uh, Callie. You just gave us the show open. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I think that there's been a lot of really good things that have come out of feminism. And I think that it allows me to approach a man as an equal. And so I don't know um, how men feel because I'm not one, but I know that I feel very powerful as a woman because I live in the United States and I feel like I can approach any man as an equal, even men who are older than me, even men who are in higher positions of power than me. So you believe men and, so you believe men and women are equal. I do believe that, do yeah, and God, I feel that. Do you think God purpose men and women to be equal? Yes. Yeah, but do you think do you women think... should have the right to vote? <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> Touch me and find out. You know, <laughs> you know, let's just drop the mic right there. You know, it's interesting. I, I feel like there's a lot of pendulums swinging back and forth with almost any uh, scenario. So with feminism... And feminism has many shapes and sizes and or takes on many forms. And the reaction against certain forms of feminism breeds man conferences and men's ministries and oh, uh, right. we just keep reacting against each other. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you have an approach that's like equals. We don't need to lower we don't need to lower men below women for a while until the the injustice catches up it just we just need to strive for equality i i completely agree i see very much um reaction from feminists and reaction from alt-right i mean however you want to define define alt-right um 
I see the reaction going back and forth. Um, women screaming angry in the streets and um, talking about things that are just like crazy that no one wants to hear about. This is natural. Yes, well, pooping is natural too. I don't want to see you do that either. But you know what I mean? It's just all these these reactions to things. And, um, I just think that we should, I will, I have three daughters and I will encourage them the same way that I was encouraged to, to use your mind and to treat other people like humans. You're a human. I'm a human. We're equal. We have different functions, um, bodily functions. You know, my daughters are going to be able to create human beings and, you know, my nephews aren't going to be able to do that. So there's different functions that happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have to slide into traditional gender roles. And I just, uh, I will always, I will always feel like I can approach anyone as an equal human being. And, um, I hope that my children will always feel that as well. I hope they just see it modeled by my husband Mm -hmm. and I approaching each other as equals. And I think that that's the, that's the best feminism right there is to just say, I am your equal to know who you are as a woman. I am this person. I am smart enough. I am capable and I'm just going to do what I need to do in the world. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And doggone it. People like you. That's right. A lot of people like you through your podcast. I don't know. I haven't looked at the statistics. I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. He's such a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I don't look. Do you guys have a driven purpose there on your podcast? Yes. Okay. So here's my purpose. I don't know about the other girls, but my purpose when they were like, hey, let's start a podcast. I was like, awesome. That means I will get to talk directly to all these people who I've been wanting to ask questions to. So, you know, um, I love the idea of giving people a platform to talk, but I also love it that we have a platform to be able to pull people like Lisa Gunger, who we're going to have on the show, or, um, you know, people who I've just Scott heard them Bibles talking. <laughs> you definitely need to come on, dude. Um, you know, we were able to grab these people and, and uh, talk to them one-on-one and ask them the questions that I want to ask them and hear the answers that they have. I love that. I love it. It gives me access to people. That's my purpose. Nice. So people who are more like me uh, with, with belief system and stuff like that. Just to stay in your own, what's it called? Echo chamber. Echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm creating an echo chamber. I'm building one all around myself. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I got to think Amanda and Becky would have something different to say about your echo chamber. Yeah, I think, I think we're pretty different. I mean, Amanda's about as liberal as I am conservative, which we really aren't, don't swing too far up here. We're kind of in here, but she's definitely my liberal counterpoint, counter, counterpart on the show. It makes for good, uh, good interplay. There's a lot yeah. of echo chambers out there, and some for good reason. People need a place where they can be uh, safe, but affirmed. It's funny. Liturgist is one of the most powerful podcasts on the planet, and they are a little bit of an echo chamber. And I, I don't use that term derogatorily about them. That's that's a space that's hmm. needed. But th- yeah. then there's I have a lot of podcasts I listen to, and, and the most interesting ones are ones that are exploring a lot of different angles, a lot of different viewpoints, and and just yeah. seeing different perspectives. Um, and actually, Litters does that pretty pretty well. But 
Well, you know, what's interesting is to listen to, like, I try to juxtapose two completely different podcasts every time I listen to one. So I'll listen to like Inglorious Pastors, which has got Brad and Matt. They're like so liberal and like angry liberal almost. I love yeah, you guys. Like yeah. I love all the polys. They're, they're, they're pretty <laughs> high polys. So oh I, God. they're pretty liberal, you know, and, um, then I'll listen to something, um, that's pretty conservative, like Ben Shapiro. Have you guys ever heard of Ben Shapiro? Yeah. 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 So I'll listen to him in juxtaposition there. Yes. So it's like the liberal and then the conservative and then I listen to the liberal and then the conservative so that I can get both sides. You know, I listen to NPR and I also listen to, you know, Louder with Crowder or something like that, which can be pretty <laughs> aggressive. Oh, but, you know, great. it's like these these you things. You start you know? listening to Gavin McInnes. I do listen to Gavin McInnes. <laughs> oh, man. I feel dirty <laughs> after listening to him. Me too. It's terrible. It's entertaining though. Right. I feel really dirty after Don't listening listen. to Crowder, Steven Crowder. Don't listen to Gavin. Yeah. So full blown dirtiness to pristine clean. How do you feel after listening to us? Oh, careful. Right, right down the middle there, boys. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. I'm sorry. Oh, that's why I'm not married. I have to say what I love this bros bibles and brews because you were one of the first podcasts i listened to you know i didn't i didn't listen to podcasts at all until july of last year and i started with liturgists and then inglorious pastors and then bros bibles and brews was right after that and yeah i went all the way back and listened to all the archives and everything up until now and yeah i love this show you guys are just so normal. You're so normal. You have normal people problems. And I, I love Science Mike and I love Michael Gunger, but they live in a very artistic world, and that's not I normal. I can't stand that crap. It's it's not normal. They're great. They're great. They have totally. good ideas, but they're not normal people. They don't have normal jobs and normal lives. Uh, I was listening to them, and Michael was talking about he was going through his the, his new Gunger Gunger. What did I say? You said Michael, but there's two mics. They're both Mike. Oh, sorry. Um, I was, <clears throat> he was going through his music and then he was talking about how he came to that. And you're talking about the artistic thing. And, yeah. and I mean, I felt like I was high. I was riding my bike and I'm like, <laughs> whoa. And they, he was, it was just kind of like, this must've been what people experienced when they were listening to Janis Joplin or the Beatles or at, something at Woodstock. <laughs> yeah, way but they were then. actually high. I'm like the way he's talking about the music. It was just like uh, transcended the entire world and sky around me. I'm like, this is very odd, and <laughs> I feel light right now. <laughs> I did. Like all Ethereal. my burdens were lifted. I'm like, okay, am I real? Yeah. So. Uh- I don't know how you guys, I listen to podcasts on my iPhone, so it's like, it just goes down the list, you know, and um, I would have like the liturgists, and you know how they have their calm voices, you know, Mike's voice, real calm, Mike uh, uh, McCarg's, his yeah. eye, voice is so calming, and it's very relaxed, both of them are pretty relaxing, and then all of a sudden, it would be louder with Crowder, and it's like, blah, and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> it's just jarring. With not gay, Jared. Not gay, Jared. <laughs> I, I love that show. but I mean it would just like you know it's just jarring so um, it's a little bit weird to listen to him like that it's I'm gonna have to find a different way to do it eventually because okay. right now so there's a new one there's a new guy and Zach and I talked about this briefly um, and you may you may have heard of heard of him but his name is Jordan Peterson 
no. So look up look up Jordan B. Peterson on on YouTube, and he also has a podcast. Uh, what's the name of his podcast? Jordan Peterson. No, it's uh, is it is it? Yeah, it's his name. So look him up. Okay. So he he's a Hello. he's a neuropsychologist, and he he, oh. he has a practice um, where he he does psychology or psychiatry. I'm not sure which one, but. If you are if you are at all into the mind and and how people are, oh, yeah, what they helps. are, why they are what they are, I mean, you will not stop. Nice. You will not stop. It, oh yeah, okay, it is. Yeah, the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Um, so look that up, and he's he's not a Christian. Uh, yes, he is. Well, so I have my doubts. He he would not. I, I mean, I have my he's hopes. Not evangelizing. Yeah, no, he's not well, evangelizing. I, okay, I think it's, it's he not is. Really germane to this conversation. Yeah, but. I, I think he is. I think he's kind of like William. You know, have you heard of William Lane Craig? Yeah. So the uh-huh. so the philosopher apologist. Yes. I th- I think that Peterson is actually the way he describes things. He he will actually allow people to become or give permission to people in their minds to believe that what the Bible is teaching is true. Even though I don't think that that's not his aim at all. I don't think. Mm -hmm. And he, he even struggles with the idea of God and who God is. However, just listen to it for its psychological benefit because you'll be like, dude, I have no idea why I do these things. Now I do just (laughs) check it out. Awesome. Scott, you are growing in so many ways. Am I? I appreciate it. So the podcast is Twisted Sisters. There's not an H, though. There's not an H. Is there an H? No. Where was the Turds, like T-E-R-D-S. I know, because it just, that's why I thought. Sisters? No, it's cis-turds. Cis-turds. Yeah, it's cis-turds. Nobody here had an inkling that that's what No, I did. Serious? I did. When I first looked it up. Past turds, sister. Now I feel like we've really split us into like cisgendered turds. That's oh, very man. confusing. <laughs> it depends on which. Never mind. Never mind. Don't go. I've there. seen some of your paintings. Maybe you can have cisgendered turds as an inspiration for one of your hey, paintings. Hey, what does the cis mean? I, I don't know. It, it means you are happy with the gender which you were assigned at birth. That's what cis means? Wow. Okay. It means the system. The system gave okay, you. I did, I did not want to Google that. All right. What does the future look like for the Twisted Sisters? Where do you want to take this? I don't know. Uh, we have a bunch of cool guests coming on throughout the summer. Um, we're not taking a summer break, so we're just going to keep on going. I don't know. We're just having a really good time. We're going to be talking a lot about purity culture in the next uh, months, in the upcoming months. Purity culture is something that's important because it's there's a lot more pressure on girls to participate in purity culture. Um, we're going to be talking know, about. I have an idea what that might be, but I don't even. I've heard that. Yeah, term give us a thrown. quick definition of purity culture. Well, purity culture, like any other movement, has uh, some pretty conservative, and then swinging all the way to sort of middling, very middling liberal. Most of it has to do with staying a virgin until you're married. Um, and the way people approach that is different ways. Um, some people try to scare people with the uh, diseases and 
the possibility of pregnancy and outside of marriage and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Some people try to woo you into purity culture by giving you jewelry and taking you to balls and all that kind of stuff. That's Um, That's how actually guys try to get women out of purity culture as well. That's true. That's true. That also happens. All kinds of great things like you see this flower, how beautiful this flower is. We'll imagine it with no petals. Yes. Here, drink out of this glass that everybody else is drunk out of. And of course, a girl is the glass and the men are the ones drinking out of it. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we're basically trying to decide. And I always take a little bit more of a conservative standpoint on these kinds of things. But I I am a girl and I do have children, girls. So um, I'm trying to figure out how to keep shame out of purity culture and maybe to not even participate in it at all. So there's a lot of discussion around terminology. um, And we're going to be having a psychologist on to talk about that as well. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I think it'll be interesting discussions regardless. Um, We're going to be talking to people who've never been married. So singles, uh, marrieds with children and marrieds with no children. So awesome. Yeah. We'll see how it all goes. Yeah. All right. It'll be interesting. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to us. Yeah, talking awesome. to us. I'm glad we got to uh, have a little, uh, you know, argument. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was we should argue more often. Yeah. yeah. We'll look back on the day when the dead falls from the Scott, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, keep those post-it notes coming, man. I love it. Okay. I like your new I system. I love hey, it. You know what? I got to tell you, Zach, I love how you pull yourself out of, uh, you know, the hole that sometimes you get in just, which is often you, you just, but you, you kind of, your brain resets and then you just, you're like, so Scott, I really like, and it's like, I really like, you know, Zach's got a little blue collar in him. He just like pull him up, pull him, pull him, pull him, pull him, pull boots, pull, pull. I'm not a cunning linguist. Pull on the straps. Pull up your boot straps. I will bootstrap the shit out of this conversation. Yeah, we're going to edit this part out. Yes. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Zach, you're so blue collar in your speech. I wish wish they could see you shaking your head as you say that. (laughs) Like the 